I made a commitment to my church a long, long time ago that I would give 10% of my income to the church. And I followed through on that commitment. Sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never have before. No, no, I get a good feeling, yeah. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Caitlin Kenny. And I'm Robert Smith. It's Tuesday, March 6th, and that was Mitt Romney, you heard at the top, talking about the amount of money he gives to the Mormon church. That 10% gift is called a tithe. And on today's podcast, we're going to go deep into the world of religious tithing. Think of it as a flat tax you pay to God. Now, plenty of religions ask for money, but the Mormons are extraordinary in their dedication to paying a tithe, so much so that they are teaching economists how people think about their money. But first, the Planet Money Indicator with Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money Indicator, 1.2. The Eurozone economy shrank, yes, shrank, got smaller at an annual rate of about 1.2% in the last three months of last year. This is according to numbers that the Eurozone put out today. And just for a little context, you know, a reminder here in the United States, we're worried right now, why isn't our economy growing faster? Why is the recovery so weak? But our economy, it's growing at about 3% a year. In Europe right now, to have a worry like that, that's a dream for them. (laughs) Now, no economy wants to shrink. That is not a good thing. But it's particularly bad in Europe because I'm just going to say it. We have to say it. There is debt. Debt. We say Europe. We have to say debt. (laughs) Now, as we talked about in the podcast last week, uh, Europe is riddled with debt. In fact, (laughs) all the solutions that we've seen over the past few months to Europe's problems involve piling debt on top of debt. And that ends up being a problem. When your economy is shrinking. Absolutely. And, and Robert, if I recall correctly from that podcast last week, one of your four ways to get out of debt, I think your handy mnemonic was grow your GDP, Lee. In other words, make your economy get bigger. Because at any level of debt, the bigger your economy is, the easier it is to pay off that debt. So growing GDP, that's good news for the debt picture. What we have in Europe right now is shrinking GDP, which is bad news for the debt picture. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thanks, guys. And now on to the secret world of tithing. Churches are like any business. They have to keep the lights on. They have to generally pay for space, for their staff at least. Churches need money. But unlike businesses, they don't sell their main product, faith. Sure, they might have bake sales or the occasional raffle. But in general, they don't charge admission. They don't typically get money from the government. Their money, it comes mainly from their members, the people who believe in them. Now, in order to encourage such generous giving, religions usually have guidelines, some sort of code that they pass on, some sort of way of saying that this is how much you should give. And every religion approaches this differently. The Catholics have a pay-what-you-want approach. They pass the basket, and you can drop in as much or as little as you want. Father Michael Perry of Our Lady of Refuge Church in Brooklyn says historically the church hasn't needed to make the hard sell. We've come from cultures where the culture maintained the church, where there wasn't even a need to tithe. You know, if the the priest needed something, he simply got up and said, we need a new roof, and then he had the new roof. So that's the Catholics. In Judaism, they are a little more specific about the level of donations. They give a number. Rabbi Joshua Metzger read to me from the Old Testament. Aser to aser, which means you shall tithe a tenth. Ace called Fuad Zaracha, all of your grain. It's a biblical obligation. Of course, since we don't really use grain now, what they're saying here is that an observant Jew should give one tenth of their income to some form of charity. In Islam, it's a different number. 
2.5% of your wealth. It's called the zakah. And they have lots of rules about this. Imam Omar Abu Namus of the Islamic Cultural Center of New York says it gets very complicated. You donate based on excess wealth. That could mean your savings account or this. If a woman, for example, say, has jewelry, Mm -hmm. and jewelry which exceeds the uh, reasonable amount which she uses for for embellishment, for decorate, you know, just to beautify herself. If she has more than that amount, then she must pay the care for that. By the way, I asked, the reasonable amount of jewelry for a woman to own? Two pounds. Anything above that, you need to pay. Now, when we talked to these three spiritual leaders, they all admitted that these are their principles of faith, but not everyone follows them. They still have to work their congregations, sometimes pretty hard, to cough up more money. Uh, This is the life of a religious leader in America these days. But when you look at the statistics, there is one religion that makes it look easy, that has a remarkable rate of success when it comes to getting people to donate. It is consistently at the top of the list. It is the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they use a unique combination of these techniques that the Jews, the Catholics, and the Muslims all talked about. The Mormons are, on one hand, extremely specific. 10% of your income. It is taught to Mormons at a very early age, 10%, no matter what. I can't ever remember not knowing about tithing, probably three, four years old. I did get a paper out when I was nine or 10 years old, and I was paying tithing uh, from all the income that I got from that as well. This is David Shapiro, and he is Mormon, as you might have guessed. He is also a financial planner who lives outside of Denver. And Shapiro says that although the amount of the tithe, 10%, is very specific, the Mormons really don't spell out the second half of the equation. 10% of what exactly? What should be considered income? Your paycheck, that's obviously income, but I don't know, is, is a gift of money income? And for Shapiro, he struggled with this question when he met his wife. He'd always tithed on the total amount of his paycheck, you know, before taxes. But his wife? She paid tithing on the net of her income. After taxes? After taxes. Her logic was money that I pay to the government isn't money in my pocket, so I shouldn't have to pay pay tithing on that. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Exactly. And my feeling was, well, if if you have the gross amount and you have to pay a certain amount for taxes, you wouldn't have had to pay that amount unless you had the income. So the income is what you pay your tithing on, whether part of it goes to the government or not. Shapiro says his wife eventually came around to his way of thinking. But consider what just happened there. Two devout Mormons, both brought up the right way in the church, had completely different ideas of what their church was expecting of them. Two very different ideas about the definition of income. It's a tricky thing to figure out, which is, of course, why the IRS has thousands of pages of laws and rules and charts and tables. The Mormons, on the other hand, not so much. The leaders of the church specifically tell their members that they are on their own. It's up to their conscience to decide what is income. And this can get very, very complicated when you try to break it down. If you find a $20 bill, do you kick $2 back to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yeah, I would. What about capital gains? If you buy or sell stocks, is that also 10%? For me personally, yes. Dividends? Uh, uh Uh-huh. Interest on checking accounts? Right. If you have a garage sale, would you tithe your results of the garage sale? Um, All of the stuff that we sold at the garage sale has already been tithed because we tithe on gross, so probably not. 
Now, Shapiro's been doing this his whole life. He's had a lot of time to think it over. But it's sort of strange that he has to go through this process because normally for the rest of us, income is defined for us. It's done by the IRS or even in economic statistics. Yeah, but the Mormons are totally on their own with this decision. In the church, tithes are usually given in sealed envelopes. No one but your bishop knows what you're giving, so you can't sort of sneak over at your neighbor there in the pew and see what they're kicking in. And and the church really has no enforcement mechanism. They ask once a year, have you given 10%? But they don't check up on you. You know, the church does not ask for your W-2 or your bank statement. They believe when it comes down to it, this is what Mormons believe, that God is the perfect auditor. God knows if you're cheating him, basically. And if you believe in God, there's no cheating on your tithe because technically he knows everything you're doing. This is why economists have gotten interested in Mormon tithing. There are lots of demands on our income, from the church to taxes. And looking at the way Mormons tithe is a chance to figure out how people think about what they keep and what they give away. One of those economists that got interested in Mormon tithing is Gordon Dahl. He is a Mormon himself and a professor at UC San Diego. And he wanted to work through how Mormons think about tithing by doing a a survey of members of the church. But he faced some challenges almost immediately because he said there's no actual master list of Mormons you can look up and, and just call Mormons. So he did the next best thing. He started to call people randomly in Utah. And usually, as is the case in Utah, a Mormon answers the phone. Now, he says you can't just start out and ask people do you pay tithe? How much do you pay in tithing? Because that makes people uncomfortable. It's a private, personal thing. You have to say, in theory, hypothetically, in a perfect world. We might ask, suppose your parents gave you $500 for Christmas. Would you pay tithing on that money? Most Mormons in Dahl's survey said yes. Gifts of cash are definitely considered income. So Dahl changed it up, made it a little more complex. He asked, what about a gift of furniture? If your parents gave you, for example, a sofa worth $500, people wouldn't tithe the value of the gift. So in other words, we got our first glimpse of the way people think about income is, as I like to say it, when they see green. Cash money. So for simple questions, the Mormon conception of income isn't that different than the rules of the IRS. Dollars are easier to tax than sofas, and dollars are also easier to tithe on. It's easy to do the math. But the questions in Dahl's survey got harder. The calculations more complicated. And Dahl says he was amazed by some of the choices that people made with their tithing. They clearly weren't thinking of their income the same way the IRS does. Yeah. So Dahl had a whole series of questions about stocks. When you sell stocks, normally you pay capital gains in the IRS world. And so he asked people if you tithed on stocks, if you made a profit off of them. And of course, most of them would say, yeah, I'll pay tithing on this. But if Mormons sold stocks and they lost money, Dahl found that Mormons wouldn't deduct the loss from their income when it came to tithing, the kind of deduction that would come as second nature if you're filling out your tax forms. Another unusual thing he noticed? We asked questions about, suppose you're saving for retirement. Are you going to pay on the money you put into the account? Now, suppose you're retired. What are you going to pay on when you take the money out of the account? Just the principal? Just the interest? The principal plus the interest or nothing? Most people pay when they put the money in and then pay on the entire amount when they come back out. So they've kind of tied the principal twice plus the interest earnings on the principal. So that seems a little odd to me because you've double tithed an intertemporal transaction, right? You've kind of tithed the principal when you put it in and you tithe it when you retire and take it out. Plus you tithe the gain. And most economists would say, well, that would be double taxation. At the end of the survey, Professor Dahl noticed a few patterns. He found that in general, when Mormons faced a tough choice, they tended to go with the more simple definition of income, the more generous definition of income. 
He found that they really focused on cash in hand. When dollars showed up, regardless of where they came from or if they'd been tithed on already, it felt like new income. Basically, no one wants to trot out a lot of deductions when faith is involved. They're worried about being petty with God. I don't want to be petty with God. (laughs) So all this works pretty well for Mormons in the Mormon church. But what are the bigger lessons we can learn from tithing? After talking with Professor Dahl and with David Shapiro, there seem to be three take-home messages for anyone who wants to raise money effectively. Number one, it helps to have something you believe in. Mormons were willing to take a generous view of income because in the end, they like where the money's going. They trust the church. They trust that the church is going to do good things with their money. Lesson number two, trust the giver. The Mormon church could have told its followers exactly what income is and what it isn't. Oddly enough, if they had actually used the IRS definitions, they probably would have gotten less money. Plus, as one Mormon bishop told us, the soul-searching, the real questioning over how much to give, that's kind of the important part. That's faith. Lesson number three, keep it simple. This was a very clear finding in Professor Dahl's research. Mormons, they didn't want to fool around with deductions and write-off, all these complicated things. The strength of the 10% tithe was that you could use your gut and do the math in your head. So actually, their code is pretty simple. And now, it doesn't line up with the economist's view. It doesn't line up with the tax code. But I'm not sure either of those views are perfect. It's this last principle, keep it simple, that Dull feels might actually help out the IRS of all organizations. The government will never generate the kind of faith that God does. That's obvious. It will never trust the average taxpayer to pick their own definition of income. Because and that, it probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, it would be a disaster. But simplifying the tax code, that, Dull says, may be an enduring lesson from the Mormons. I think when we get the tax system too complicated, there's always a backlash because people think that it's somehow not fair. Someone else is paying less than me because they have connections. People don't like that. They want a fair system is one thing I would kind of say. And a fairly simple system is what most people seem to think of as fair. As always, we want to hear what you thought of today's show. You can email us, planetmoney at npr.org. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Spotify. I'm Caitlin Kenny. And I'm Robert Smith. Thanks for listening. The mountain top, walk on water. I got power, feel so royal. One second, I'm a strike for you. Diamond, platinum, no more for you. That adrenaline, never giving in. Giving up's not an option, gotta get it in. Witness, I got the heart of 20 men. No fear, go to sleep in the lion's den. They